Open mine eyes that I may see Glimpses of truth thou hast for me Open mine eyes, illumine me Spirit divine Love of my life, I am crying I am not dying, I am dancing Dancing along in the madness There is no sadness like to invite you to a soul-level encounter. Music has an incredible ability to proclaim the soul's language beyond what mere words can speak. That's what we seek as we invite our guests to share their song of the soul. You will hear the music that has charted the steps of their spiritual journey, that has provided a touchstone in the soul's dark night and sung the heart's awe and joy when come to the light. Over the next hour, you will be a witness and companion to our guests' spiritual path and sacred testimony. Welcome to Song of the Soul. Today on Song of the Soul, we'll travel to the western USA to visit with Carlton Schreiner. He's just finishing two years on an ashram there, just the latest way he's found to swim in the deep side of the spiritual pool. He'll share from the music he's recorded from his CD, Love is the Cure. Carlton, thanks so much for joining me for Song of the Soul. Pleasure to be here, Mark. But let's make clear to everyone where here is, because you're not in my here of the beautiful northwest Wisconsin, are you? No, I am out in the hills above Escondido, California, down a long dirt road on a certified organic farm near a meditation ashram. And you've been spending an extended visit to that ashram, haven't you? Yes, I've been there for about two and a half years working as a resident volunteer, and I'll be leaving in about a month and moving on to this organic farm where I'll be a part-time caretaker while I work on my book. So you're spending two-plus years at that ashram. Could you tell me a bit of what it's like there? This is a uh, unique opportunity for men only to have an opportunity to feel what the monastic life is like. Even men who are married are able to come here just to have some special time spiritually with other men, but in particular, younger men are attracted uh, from all over the world who are considering the monastic life in the uh, order of monks of self-realization fellowship. So we have a combination of young men like that who are 
testing the waters for monastic life, single or married men who are not interested in that but like being in the vibration of that kind of one-pointed spiritual fellowship. And then we also have long-term resident volunteers who can stay two or three years, depending on their situation, who, again, may not be looking at the monastic life I mean, in terms of the rest of their life is concerned, but would like to live that life for a few years. An ashram for me implies some sort of, perhaps, Buddhism, some sort of Hinduism, something from India. So what's your background, and how did you end up there? Well, an ashram means a haven for finding God, and although ashram is an Indian word, the having a haven for finding God, of course, is nothing new. I was raised as a Christian and had a very real relationship with Jesus, so much so that when I started as a Methodist, raised as a Methodist, I started experimenting in some of the trendy things like the uh, reborn Christian movement where people were, you know, getting together and inviting this experience of being reborn, and then when that happened, going out and buying a crucifix and wearing it proudly. Experimenting with people like that, I found that the experience that they were trying to have is something that I'd already had. In fact, I never even remember not having it. My relationship with Christ was something that was always part of my life, and I had a hard time with the churches who seemed to have lost touch with that, and people that seemed to be almost impersonating my concept of a Christian. So I eventually drifted away, not from Christ, but from active church life, and began to look into other teachers, other philosophies, other religions, just because I was hungry for more. Just about when did you do that? I would say right around the last part of the 70s. My family was very close friends with a Methodist minister, Reverend Kenny Carlson, who had a very popular radio show in Los Angeles uh, around that time. And I would often listen to his sermons, and sometimes we'd drive out to his church. It was kind of a distance for us to go, so we didn't go frequently. But he was a major impact on my life. In fact, I named my son after him. But he passed away uh, right around 1980. It's about the time when I began to lose touch with the Methodist Church and shortly thereafter found the deeper teachings that I was looking for as a Christian. You're also a musician, Carlton. Does that date back to your teenage years or maybe even earlier? Yes, very musical family. In the beginning, I kind of went along with what my father wanted me to play until I couldn't stand it, and I'd throw some kind of a rebellious fit, and then they'd stick another instrument on me. I think a lot of kids go through that. I really didn't find my niche until I got on the guitar. It was, I think it was seeing the Beatles on Ed Sullivan that got me really excited about the guitar. And when I started playing one, I liked it, but it was a while before... I found the right teacher. Initially, I was taught how to play folk music, and I just didn't relate to it. So when I found a teacher who was able to tune in to me and teach me what I wanted to learn, including improvisation, I was hooked. You mentioned, Carlton, that you have a son. You're spending two years on the ashram. Does that mean your family is somewhere else? Yes, I was divorced around 1983, and my son, who's now 28, I think 29, He is actually a self-realization monk in Encinitas, California. So we have been blessed to share the same spiritual path. He's my only child, 
which I don't regret because he's given me everything I could have ever wanted in a child. So did your son get self-realization from you or you from him, or did you both get it independently? I first read the autobiography of a yogi by Paramahansa Yogananda upon recommendation of my older sister. So she was the first one to get into that. And my son, of course, got exposed to it just because my sister and I were into it. But I always encouraged him to just find his own path. So he experimented with lots of different religions, eventually settled on self-realization. We'll come back soon to more on how and why you've been living as you have, but I wanted to get started on playing your music. You sent me the CD that you produced called Love is the Cure. How long did it take you to make Love is the Cure? That was made about three years ago, about six months before I entered the ashram. I finished Love is the Cure. And why did you make it? I made it because the music started flowing through me continuously after my meditations. It was like a water faucet had been turned on and I couldn't turn it off. I wasn't quite sure what to do with it at the time. I had let go of the idea of being a professional musician a long time ago, 20 years ago. But this had a different feeling to it and I began to understand that what was coming through my heart was a desire to share with people to find the common ground with other people. I feel great pain inside my heart with all of the differences that people focus on in terms of the relationship to spirit. And I've always wanted to do something about that. And I know sometimes there's nothing that can be done, but I felt the desire to reach out through some kind of universal language. And I found that the music that was coming through me was speaking a universal language that I felt could reach out to people who perhaps might otherwise not talk to me. Maybe they think, well, you're in a different political party or you go to a different church and therefore I don't want to talk to you. Uh, but I think music has the ability to reach over these fences that people build. You've picked out some samples from your CD to share. What should we start with? Well, I picked Adriana to be the first song on the CD because I feel that if I'm going to talk to people about what I've learned about love and what other people have taught me about love is a big part of that. Uh, On the 20,000, 30,000 hours of counseling that I did, I, I learned so much from other people. In order to make it real, I felt that the first song in the CD should put right on the table this intensely passionate connection that lovers are able to have, particularly the kind of connection that some people make with another person that seems so overwhelming that they even consider ignoring their conscience that may be reminding them, uh, excuse me, you're married, or excuse me, uh, there's a big age difference here, or you know, other reasons why this isn't appropriate that are coming up. People find themselves intoxicated with this connection with this other person So that's what I wanted to put on the table, and that's why it's a rock song, because the rock beat is like the beating heart of this passionate encounter between these two people. That's as good an introduction to the song as we could hope. So I think we'll just jump right in. This is Song of the Soul and Mark Helpsmeet of Northern Spirit Radio, and my guest is Carlton Schreiner, speaking to us from right next to the ashram where he's been living for two years, and this is his song, Adriana. Thank you. 
take for you to make these songs for your Love is the Cure CD? Uh, how long did it take to get them to come out? 
the whole recording project took two and a half years because I was holding down a business while I was working on the uh, the CD. But I would say generally all of those songs were born and ultimately refined and recorded over about a three-year period. Did I correctly hear that you worked as a nutritionist, but also that you worked as a counselor, perhaps a psychotherapist type of counselor? Yeah, I started my career as a counselor in the field of psychotherapy, uh, crisis counseling, and then I got into nutritional counseling after finding a company that was able to help me get a hold of my diet. I had a lot of problem with fatigue and mood swings, and I think what some people would call mild or moderate depression. I couldn't control my sugars for more than a couple of weeks. I caught colds and flus, although people think that's normal. I, I didn't to see why I should be getting sick. And they were able to find out that I had some food allergies. They're called hidden food allergies. It's not the classic allergy that would give you hives or migraines, but these are delayed reactions to food that can happen you know, the next day. So through a blood test and some other techniques, they were able to determine what the problem foods were. And by avoiding those foods, all of my symptoms disappeared. I felt so good that I just couldn't keep it to myself. So I asked the company to train me, and I opened up a branch operation for them in Seattle at the time, and where I uh, counseled 800 patients through the program that had uh, turned my life around. So did you leave that nutritional counseling work to move to the ashram? maybe moving into a new phase of your life? Yes, I really felt that after about 30,000 hours of counseling that it was time for something else. Something was coming up inside of me to where I just felt that even if I got people well healthy, it didn't necessarily make them happy. I just found that people have a way of constantly being unhappy, getting themselves into the wrong relationships, the wrong jobs, Find something to be angry about, and I just got to the point to where I, I didn't want to talk anymore. I just wanted to communicate on a different level through a different medium, and that's when the music had been coming through, and I found that I felt such peace being able to just pick up a guitar and just sing a song and have that be all that I was going to say. It's like, here, listen to this song. If you feel something, if you understand this, great. If you don't, it's okay. I'm not going to give you a lecture and explain it. <laughs> it was a way of wanting to just come more from my heart in a language that was further away from the intellect and the, the chess game that I felt I always had to play with people's egos as a counselor. I mean, the ego's always involved in trying to protect people's likes and dislikes, their comfort zone, all of their repressed emotions. And I was very aware of the fact that I was having to play chess with all that to create a way, like Moses parting the Red Sea, to get these people to the other side, you know, where they wanted to achieve their health goals. And after a while, I just felt like I wanted to break from it. Let's continue on with the music for your Song of the Soul. The next song being called Let's Fall in Love with God. Where does this fit in your journey, and what are you trying to say through this song? Let's Fall in Love with God is my way of reminding myself that God is the source of love, and if I forget that and I fall in love with the objects that are in God's creation, then I'm setting myself up. And that's why the beginning of the song places the eternal human dilemma right on the table by basically saying, you know, does this love have to come and go? I mean, 
look at the divorce rate, let alone even if you have two people who love each other from marriage all the way to death, are they happy about that marriage? So I put that on the table right away. You know, is there an eternal love? Is there a deeper love? Why does this have to keep happening? And so the answer I'm giving as a thing to explore initially in the song is, well, maybe we could fall in love with God. And as I continue to explore it, it becomes something that I feel more inspired about. And so I bring in the power guitars, which I'm playing, by the way. I love to play electric guitar. And it's the kind of song that at that point I would just bring the hook back in. That's what I'm supposed to do according to the music industry. But instead I brought in a little comic relief. Some people don't catch it, but it's right after the guitars and then I bring in the tender sax. What I'm doing is I'm reminding us all that what we do, even when we get clear on God being the source of love, we still just lapse. It's our habit. We forget. We go back to this desire for human love. And so there's a comic interlude where it's like, I love you, you love me, this love was meant to be. Oh, but why must it end eventually? And then the song picks up again and goes back into the more inspired relationship with God is the only answer. As long as we're able to see that God is the love behind the lover, God is the friend behind the friend, and we're not just egoically being uh, attached by our likes and dislikes. In other words, most people love each other as long as they're pleased by each other's behavior. Is that love? It's certainly not divine love. Divine love, as we all know, is unconditional. And when people allow the love to sink to a lower level of, of the ego, where it's just really interested in what it likes and what it doesn't like, leading to the divorce rate that we have, then I, I think we've lost our way and those kinds of relationships end up being spiritually destructive to people. That's the unhelpful way of doing relationship, but the counterpoint, the helpful way, is to fall in love with God and have that as our stabilizing base. The song is Let's Fall in Love with God by Carlton Schreiner.
Carlton Schreiner singing Let's Fall in Love with God. And Carlton, if I understand you rightly, you're also singing there out of your own experience. You mentioned, for instance, that you went through your own divorce. Well, I think that when that divorce happened, the spiritual change that I just undergone was hard for my wife at that time to understand. If you're with somebody that you're married to and they change dramatically, it's threatening to you, or at least it's understandable that that's the case. I feel that she understands it now. I mean, her son (laughs) ended up going in the same direction, so I think that's water under the bridge. But I do believe at the time that the spiritual change that was in me, it was overwhelming to me. I mean, I, I won't even try to explain it, but I will tell you that it fulfilled 
in the very deepest way, everything that I'd been looking for as a Christian, everything that I'd been craving was given to me, and uh, it changed the way I talked, it changed the way I walked. I wasn't able to play in the rock band that was poised for Hollywood success at the time. People that knew me just didn't know what, quite, what to do with it other than my older sister, who understood, because she had introduced me to the meditation techniques that I've been practicing. It sounds like what you just described could be the text for the next song you've selected, You'll Never Be More Loved. It sounds like you had this incredible experience of being completely loved, that it illuminated the darkness that you'd been walking in. It's a very nice way of putting it, yes. The love that I felt is indescribable, and that was 1982. And so now, uh, you know, over 20 years later, I realized how easy it is, even with that experience and others like it I've had since then, how easy it is for me to get busy uh, in the day and, and forget that I'm loved and to go back into these subconscious patterns that I was raised in, this whole society has them, well, we have to earn love. Every day you've got to go out there and, and be a good person and do all these things, and then your subconscious is going, okay, am I loved? Am I loved now? Am I loved? What if I'm not loved? And so I saw those patterns being there pretty well fixed in the subconscious, so I thought, well, I'd like a song that reminds me what I know in my heart and my soul to be true. This song took me on quite a journey because I had to sing the song as if I was God singing to God's children. And I found that I, I felt, found a, little, a few pockets of unworthiness, saying, well, you know, I can't, who am I? I can't do that. I had to work through that in order to, to do the song, but I'm glad that I did. And I'd like everyone else to hear it. You'll Never Be More Loved by Carlton Schreiner. Never be more loved than you 
In introducing that song, you mentioned how easy it is to lose track of the truth, the eternal, unconditional love, which is our gift from the divine. One of my personal beliefs is that a spiritual community can be really helpful, at least at times, even invaluable, in helping us keep aware of divine truths. Is that at least part of why you chose to spend the past two years at the ashram? Absolutely. That was the biggest thing that was missing from my life. I wanted to be in an environment where I could be spiritually spontaneous, where people could be comfortable with that, and also where I could freely give to people and have them receive it without the exchange of money being involved. But I wanted an environment where it was just community, where it was just natural for people to see God in each other, to be loving to each other, to help each other, to serve without any desire for any particular rewards. I'd lived previously in some other ashrams and spiritual communities, and I was in a transitional period where I realized that I wanted that again. The next song you selected, Carlton, is Help Me to Love. Why is this theme important to you? Well... I'm insatiable when it comes to love. In fact, I believe that love is infinite, so there is no end to it. Every day I want help to love more deeply because I I know that it's an ocean, it's infinite, and I want to go as deeply into it as I can. So it's definitely part of it is that. But I really wrote this song for a different reason. I really wanted to write a song about death. I really felt that when I confronted death in my life, that I really started to fully live. So I thought, well, how would I share that with people? I mean, could I put that into a song? Could I take some aspect of what I would be imparting to the language of my heart to God? And that song is what came through. The song that came through is Help Me to Love, off of Carlton Schreiner's recording, Love is the Cure. If life rending tomorrow And I had just one day If all I have worked for Were swept away If I had one moment A few words left to If I had one breath left, one last thing to say, I'd say, 
Listening to a Northern Spirit Radio production called Song of the Soul. I'm your host, Mark Helpsmeet, and the sharing soul with us today is Carlton Schreiner. The music he's sharing is part of his CD, Love is the Cure. Well, let's keep moving right along so we can get in as much of your music as possible. You've next chosen a song called Feel the Light. Can you tell us about this song and where it fits in your spiritual journey and outlook? When I was selling my house, so I'd have the money to produce the CD and then eventually move to the ashram, a multimillionaire came through my house trying to help somebody else buy it. She wouldn't have been caught dead in a house that small with her money. <laughs> but she was very spiritually inclined. A lot of people with that much money just aren't. And we developed a friendship. And she told me over the phone once that she loved the saying, you are a spiritual being having a physical experience. And I thought, wow, you know, someone fairly worldly and involved likes that saying. It would be great if I could make a song out of that. So I just picked up my guitar, and that song started coming through. So this is really about remembering to practice detachment, to pull back from the physical senses, the emotions, all these things that we think define reality, and to pull back and to go into the silence and to remember that we are spiritual beings and that God is right there you know, just seeing us as the most beautiful soul, regardless of what's happening around us. 
most people would think, well, wasn't it see the light? How can you feel the light? I feel the light in meditation. And so that's why I decided to entitle it such. You are a spiritual being Having a physical experience The universe that you're seeing Was created just for one audience For the children of the light The children of eternity Everything will be alright Remember your true identity You are a spiritual being Having a physical experience To understand what you're feeling Trust the light of your soul's radiance The desires you are seeking They will bring Temporary happiness In the end they're misleading None can satisfy Your deepest emptiness You are a child of light Everything's gonna be alright Follow your heart with all your mind You are a child of light Feel the Light by my Song of the Soul guest, Carlton Schreiner, from his recording, Love is the Cure. Carlton, I have the sense that you selected the order of the songs on this CD very deliberately. You told us why Adriana was first. Where are we headed? We're actually moving toward the blues, (laughs) which means we have to keep a sense of humor on the spiritual path, because no matter how elevated we become, the blues is always potentially just around the corner. That's why the blues song is deep into the CD. It's number eight out of 11 songs, because that's my experience in all the counseling I've done in my own life and other people's lives, is that the blues, we need to keep it in the equation. I'll sum it up like this. Here's a poem I wrote. There's a way to sing the blues that don't wear out life's bad news. Embrace that pain in your heart 
Let song bear its truth in part. Oh, that truth will set you free. Cry such blues to turn the key. Shedding soul tears musically helps us through duality. And so that's the positive aspect of the blues that I felt needed to be in the CD. And so, yes, I'm moving us toward the blues. Ultimately, when the CD is done, I hope that what I've moved people to is a deeper appreciation of this path into the light, into the divine love, and that it's a path that is an incredible journey that takes us through so many experiences, and behind each one is the same loving light, the same loving God. I'm with you on that all the way. I'm eager to keep going on to the other songs you selected, so let's talk about the next one, Cupid's Wine. So why does Cupid need wine when he's got an arrow? <laughs> yeah, well, I chose Cupid's Wine because it's just more poetic, and there's lots more words you can rhyme with it than arrow. Also, you know, wine is, you're hearing a lot of poems, like the Rubaiyat of Omar Khayyam, you know, the wine of divine love and so forth. So it just worked better. And this is really, this is actually inspired by a friend of mine, actually was a minister, who just always fell in love and appropriately gave his power away. And no matter what he did, he just, he went through marriage after marriage after marriage. You know, he would forget about his male friends in the course of being infatuated with whoever the woman was. And I finally, I got fed up and I wrote him a blues song out of my frustration. And I played it for him and he just turned ashen white because it was all true, but then I felt kind of bad afterwards. You know, I was like that to a lesser degree at one point in my life, and probably everybody's had to learn that lesson, so who am I to come down on them that strong? So I decided to rewrite the song in a more universal context, and I think this is something everybody can relate to, but the song is a warning, a universal warning, is just watch out. You know, if you want true love, you better watch out. There's a man of a board in the sea of love He says his baby came from above There's a man of a board in the sea of love They fit so well like hand in glove Cupid's wine Man of 
That was Carlton Schreiner's song, Cupid's Wine. It made me wonder, Carlton, about the practices at the ashram where you've been living for the past two years. Celibacy is clearly part of the practice. What about wine and other intoxicants? Are they off-limits as well? Yes, they are strictly forbidden. So the practice is to stay away from all of the things that might tempt one away from God, maybe into the body or into ego. What about food? Can you use food there to fill up the stimulation deficit? Yeah, people definitely uh, make up for whatever addiction isn't being serviced uh, by going into the kitchen where they had a whole bunch of food and people can really dive into it. But there are also people there who have learned that that really just only temporarily fills that emptiness. And then later on when you're trying to meditate, you have a lousy meditation because you stepped yourself. You're falling asleep or you've got gas or whatever. You know, people are in different levels of evolution and so they come in and relate to the food in different ways. You've shared a lot of intoxicating music with us, Carlton. You picked Amazing Grace to finish it off. What's your connection with this song? I think when I really started focusing on it was when I was with the Church of Religious Science for a while. I noticed that they had changed the word from Amazing Grace that saved a wretch like me to uh, that saved a soul like me. I thought, yeah, that makes a lot more sense. I don't think God wants us to think of ourselves as wretches. That's when I think the seed was planted. I'm not sure why Amazing Grace ended up on the CD, but now that it's on there, I think I understand, because polls showed that it's America's favorite song. So I did some research on it and found that there was no melody written by the man who wrote the lyrics. And I thought, oh, no wonder the, lyri- the melody never quite felt right to me. I mean, some of it did, but some of it felt off. So then I looked at the lyrics and I thought, you know, this has some beautiful things to say, but a lot of it is self-incriminating. A lot of it doesn't fit with my experience of grace. So I'm going to rewrite it and I'm going to rearrange it, basically. And so when there would be a phrase that would mean something special to me, since the original composer didn't put any music to it, I would put music to it, usually in the, in the form of slowing it down or speeding it up. And if I really felt something inspiring, I would slow the tempo down and savor the moment. So this is my way of really tuning into the song verse by verse and letting the music do the talking in terms of what my experience of that grace is.
That was Amazing Grace, a la Carlton Schreiner. Before we say goodbye to you, Carlton, I want to mention your website, loveisthecure.com, where they can find your CD and all kinds of good stuff, can't they? Yes, they can. They'll be able to stay in tune with my book writing project, and there are also some links there if they want to, rather than purchasing the whole album, if they just like uh, to purchase a song and download it, that's all available through the uh, link section. The site is, again, loveisthecure.com, where you'll find the music of Carlton Schreiner, who's been my guest today for Song of the Soul. Thanks so much for joining me, Carlton. Thank you for having me, Mark, and thanks for your great work. The theme music for Song of the Soul is by Chris Williamson, and it's called Song of the Soul. My name is Mark Helpsmeet, and this is a Northern Spirit Radio production. You can listen to this program again, track down the list of songs included, and a whole lot more on my website, northernspiritradio.org. And I invite you to share your Song of the Soul with my listeners. Just contact me via my website. And please, join me weekly for Song of the Soul. You can be happy Let in the light It will heal you And you can feel you And sing out a song of the soul